the best way this was explained to me, and hopefully that can help you. Let's say you have the army, you have a general, and the general commands a soldier. He gives a command to a soldier. Then, later on, he changed the order, right? Don't do this anymore, do this. Would anyone accuse him of sin, of wrongdoing? No. Because he has the right to do so. He knows what, what's best for the strategy they have. He knows what's best for, the, for whatever they have to carry out. So same way with God. God is the law giver. He has the right to give the law in one day, and the next day he can change it. You know me, we're going to be in Hebrews. Um, we're going through this book for a while. Um, and today we're going to be looking at um, the benefits we have in uh, the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is always interceding for us, and we're going to see what benefits, what that means uh, for us. Um, today we're going to be picking up in verse 11. And uh, before we do that, I know we, I have uh, spent a lot of time in Hebrews, and we look at many little things um, and many things that the author uh, uh, alludes to. Um, and I don't want you to be lost in the detail, okay? Um, sometimes I, there is one doctrine, and like there is so many things that, uh, uh, that comes behind it. The author can say one thing, but if you're not a Jew, you won't understand that. And I get caught up in this. Um, but I don't want us to be lost in the details. Um, I want us to remember the big picture. At least for, for this section, from 5 to um, 8, um, the big picture is um, the priesthood of Jesus Christ, okay? The big picture is the priesthood and the priestly work of Jesus on our behalf. Um, Jesus is superior to Aaron, to Levi, to Abraham. We know that his priesthood is patterned after Melchizedek, this strange figure um, that just, who just appears and disappears um, in the biblical record we find in Genesis um, 14. A man who had no apparent mother, no apparent father, no genealogy, um, no record of his death or his birth. Um, and because of that, he is a foreshadow. He is a type. He is a pointer to Jesus Christ. And last time, in verse uh, 1 to 10, we saw that Le um, Melchizedek is superior to Levi because of two things. The first thing is Levi paid tithes to Abraham, uh, to uh, Melchizedek through Abraham, um, as if when Abraham gave the tithes one-tenth um, to Melchizedek, it was as if Levi was there, even though the Bible says he was in the loin of his ancestor. Uh, then the second thing that shows um, Melchizedek is superior to um, Levi is that Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Verse 7 says, um, uh, it goes without dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So one to, verse 1 to 10 um, shows that Melchizedek is superior to Levi. Now this section from verse 11 to 28 the author extends his argument a step further. 
And this is the argument, this is the logic here. Since the Melchizedekian priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood, and Christ and Christ's priesthood is after Melchizedek rather than Levi, therefore Christ's priesthood is superior than um, Levi's priesthood. Okay, Melchizedek superior to Levi. Jesus is pattern. His priesthood is pattern after Melchizedek. Um, therefore, Jesus is superior than Levi. It's like logical, like deduction. I think it's in in. In school, like if you go to school, like you're learning speech, and I think this is conclusion, like that's the deduction. So let's get into um, um, Hebrews chapter 7. Today I'm going to do something that Brother Chris always does when he preaches. Um, I'm going to read verse 25, and then we go back to 11. Um, because verse 25 is the culmination for this whole um, Argument. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him for his work for us. He is your beloved son whom you sent to down the cross for us so that we can have eternal life. His blood atoned for every sin. Sometimes we sing and um, now he's seated at your right hand. We want to grasp this truth, this reality that he's our high priest right now. Help your church to grasp this and be encouraged and press on. Speak to your people. Speak to your church. We will not be uh, encouraged to strive to persevere until the end. All for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one name after the order of Aaron? Let's stop right there. Um, this verse doesn't shock you as much because um, he's talking about perfection. But if you are a Jew, if you have, if you have this history of priesthood, uh, sacrificial system, the Levites, when someone say, abandon all these and embrace Christ, that would be like a shock to you. Like we are not tempted to go back to the Levitical priesthood. We, we don't have these temptation. We, we have other things and we're going to see, uh, I'm going to touch on those uh, as we go. But imagine, like, what would be a culture shock for us these days? It would be, um, let's say, I, I'm going to say something crazy. People, like, they run a whole business on their phone. Like, they send emails, uh, they send text messages. Like, they, like, fire people on, on phone. Like, they, it's, it's, it's the means by which our culture uh, um, functions these days. Um, so this verse, like, doesn't 
phase us because we, we're not tempted to go to uh, Levi. We're not tempted to go to the sacrificial system. But we have temptations. We have many things. Some people, they, they want to go back to, uh, I don't know, alcohol, drugs. Some people, they're tempted to go to um, uh, pornography, um, addiction to something. Like, But all this is temptation that the enemy or the world or your flesh put in front of you to settle, from, to settle for something less than perfect. Your enemy, the, the devil, the world, your flesh, is always tempted, is always tempting you to settle for, for something less than perfect. But the author is saying, like, don't do that. And we're going to use his example, like, to see we need something perfect, right? Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, perfection is the issue here. The whole argument about superiority, inferiority, it all, it all boils down to the issue of perfection. Like I said, our generation cannot grasp this notion because whenever you talk to people, they, they're like, we humans, no one is perfect, and it's okay. But they don't realize by saying this, they're screaming at the state of their soul. We are in the state of imperfection, separated from God. Yeah, no one is perfect. Many churches these days don't even know what it means to be saved. They even let people believe that they can do the best they can to go to heaven. Perfection is absolute, absolutely necessary to go into heaven. People think because God is loving, um, yeah, God is love, he should accept us into, into heaven and he should overlook our failures. He should overlook um, our sin as if a loving God should uh, sweep under the rug our sin and accept us as is. Nowadays, Christianity is watered down to this. Go on. Go as, as you wish. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Live however you want, however you can. Try your best. Even if there is no show of growth in your life, after all, the man upstairs is loving. But, flip my page here. We know we cannot um, enter the presence of God however we want. Something has to mediate for us. That's why in the Old Testament they have the Levitical priesthood. And even after uh, God gave them the, the, the priesthood and the law, the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they enter into the presence of God on their own terms. They, they, they brought like strange fire, uh, unauthorized fire. And what happened to them? They fall dead on the spot. God like stroked them with his presence and with his fire. Because you cannot enter the presence of God casually. You cannot enter the presence of God willy-nilly, you know. So the burden of the author is to show that perfection is required to be in the presence of God. 
otherwise you will be consumed. He's going to say that God is a consuming fire. So the warning is this. Don't put your hope in anything inferior. Anything inferior cannot make you perfect. If we look down in verse 19, it says the same thing. In, like there is a little parenthetical statement here. For the law made nothing perfect. So it's like putting it out there. If the, if the priesthood could make perfect, if the law could make perfect, why then we need Jesus? Why do we need another priest? And look how he connects the priesthood and the law together in verse um, 11. For under it, under the priest, Levitical priesthood, the people receive the law. So it's like law is Levitical priesthood. Priesthood is Levitical, is law. So perfection could not be attained through the Levitical priesthood. The law could not make anyone perfect. The whole problem of man is this. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have lost the state of perfection in which God created us in the beginning. Because of sin, because of the sin we inherited from Adam, because of the sin that easily besets us, we have an imperfect nature. Now, how can a perfect God mingle with imperfect people like us? That's the problem. How can, God, how can we go back to God? God is a consuming fire. God cannot abide sin. God is a consuming fire because he is holy. He is separated from us, completely different from us or anything else. He's in a category all by himself. He's a blazing fire of holiness, a blazing fire of righteousness, of perfection. He's holy, thrice holy, 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 holy. He's the Lord God Almighty. God is enwrapped with perfect light, perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. How can we have fellowship with such a God in our imperfect state? We are sons of darkness, daughters of darkness. We are unholy. We are alienated from God from birth. We are wretched sinners. Your problem, my problem, is that we need to be perfect to be in the presence of God. Our sin needs to be dealt with first. And one thing to note, like in the Old Testament, the, the sins of the people were dealt with, but not completely, not eternally, not fully. The penalty still needed to be paid. And the constant sacrifices, the constant uh, shedding of blood, the high priest going into the holies of holies every year, and the same thing repeats next year, and the year after that, and over and over again, it's a reminder. The sin is dealt with, but temporarily. But a day will come when someone will deal with it once and for all. 
people, even Christian, be, Christians, believe that um, forgiveness of sin can be obtained to the sacrificial system. When someone would kill a lamb, a goat, a turtle dove, a bull, they would think that this is what could take away sin. Even nowadays, I, I, used, to think, I, used, to think, I used to think the same thing. Um, people would say things like, I'm glad I'm not living in the Old Testament times because I would have to possess la- large property of li- with livestock, especially somewhere where there is no HOA. And every day I would have to bring an animal to have my sin forgiven. Oh, I'm glad I don't have to participate in those bloody rituals. I'm glad I just need to believe in Jesus Christ. I used to think like that. Many people, many Christians think like that. They think like killing an animal would forgive your sin. But no, the sacrificial system was never meant to forgive sins. The system was a pointer to what ultimately forgiveness requires. What would it take to truly be forgiven of our sin? One sacrifice. The Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system were a constant reminder that someone, someday in the future, will come and die on their behalf. And that's what will ultimately get rid of sin. It was not the daily sacrifices It was not the Day of Atonement. And us, living on this side of history, we know when that happened. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, bore our sin in his body. He bled and died to purchase our forgiveness. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The argument here is the priest would offer sacrifices for the people and they were commanded by law to do so. But bulls and goats and lambs and rams and turtle dove, like I say, they cannot take away sin. We read that in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, we need a new priest to arise and supersede the other priesthood. That's why the Lord through David in Psalm 110, prophesied that you get the, the king Messiah will come, but also he will be a priest. And the Lord was saying, I'm going to be replacing um, the priesthood with a better one, a new one. And the other thing I wanted to uh, point before I go to the next verse, like we don't understand this concept of priest really um, Some of you maybe were raised Catholic, and Catholic, they have priests, right? But not only Catholics have priests. I, I spoke to some of my coworkers. They, there is a Hindu temple, like maybe five, ten minutes from where we work, and they have priests. Um, in Haiti, they have voodoo priests. Um, but the biblical definition for a priest is this. is simply someone who represents you before God, someone who goes for you, who stand before God and talks to him on your behalf. So in the Old Testament, when someone sinned, they had to go to the priest, bring an animal, they would kill it, and the priest would take portion of the flesh 
and some of the blood and put it on the altar, wave it before the Lord, and sometimes bring it into the holies and even the holies of holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. So that was a big process, and if you go read in Leviticus, you see the requirements for all that. Only the priests could serve in the holy places, though. And the high priest, once a year, could enter the holies of holies. So the people, really, they were kept afar, kept, kept separated from God. The Lord was living in their midst. The Lord was, um, you remember after, at the end of Exodus, um, the Lord gave Moses the instruction to build the tabernacles and what, what um, materials to use and things like that. And Moses could not enter. And then the Lord says, you need to do this. And that's why we have Leviticus. After the Lord goes over the requirement to be in his presence, then Moses was able to enter the temple. So, but even uh, the tabernacle. But even then, the people were like kept afar, kept separated. So they could not have this uh, privilege that we have today to enter into the presence of God. We are privileged. We have access to the throne of God. We don't see it because God is not, you know, it means like it's not tangible, but it's a spiritual reality of each and every one of us. We have access to the throne of God. So with the Levitical priesthood, that couldn't be achieved. The people were kept afar. The priests would serve like up to the holies. The high priest would be all the way uh, could enter all the way to the holies of holies, but once a year. And no one could, like, touch God. I remember what happened to Uzziah when the ark was shaking on the cart they put on, on um, that um, the cows were, like, dragging behind. He tried to, like, stop it from falling on the ground. He was struck dead. So no perfection can be attained through the Levitical priesthood, through the law. And we have a new priesthood after the order of Melchizedek that came to replace and supersede that. Verse 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. This verse is very important. It says, when there is a change in the priesthood, and indeed there was a change in the priesthood, namely Jesus Christ. He's the new priest. He's the new, we sing, the great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Jesus is um, the new priest. He's um, after the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, there must be a change in the law. It is of necessity. That means one cannot change without the other. If you change the priest, you need to change the law. God was establishing how things work in the Old Testament. But people would say, why do we have the Ten Commandments still today? Like, what do we do with those? Do we have to keep the Sabbath? What do we do with the dietary laws, the civil laws. There were like 613 of them 
But let this verse put you at rest. There is a change in the priesthood, therefore there must be a change in the law. That's why Seventy Adventists, like they, they sometimes when you talk to them, they put like this um, indictment on you. Oh, you, 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 you need to observe the Sabbath. No, the law changed. But you can ask yourself this. Wasn't the Levitical priesthood something that God commanded? How can he replace it? People say, I want to live by the law until this day, right? Um, but they can't. The standard is perfection, and you cannot attain that by yourself. Now, you can ask, um, why would God replace something that he already had? He can do so because commandments are never permanent. A commandment is never permanent. The best way this was explained to me, and hopefully that can help you, let's say you have the army, you have a general, and the general commands a soldier. He gives a command to a soldier. Then, later on, he changed the order, right? Don't do this anymore, do this. Would anyone accuse him of sin, of wrongdoing? No. Because he has the right to do so. He knows what, what's best for the strategy they have. He knows what's best for, the, for whatever they have to carry out. So same way with God. God is the lawgiver. He has the right to give the law in one day, and the next day he can change it. That's why when Jesus came, he said, You have heard, he said, but I say this. Oh, you, he said things like, the Son of God is king over the Sabbath, like he's Lord over the Sabbath. It's because he's the God, he's the lawgiver. He can change the commandment. There is no wrongdoing in God. Who are you, O man, to find fault with God? No. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the God in power. So he can change the commandment. That's his right to do. That's his prerogative. So, if the priesthood change, the law must change. And there is a way now we interact with the law. I have, a, I have the Reformation Heritage Bible. I have, the, I have copied the um, Living by the Ten Commandments, what it means for us Christians. I'm not going to read it, but um, he explained how we can live our life in light of uh, the Ten Commandments, how to understand that like, Christ purchased righteousness for us. Now we obey the commandments like we, because God put the law in our heart and our desires is different. Like we, we love the atoning work of Christ. Now it's like something that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. So I, I'm not going to read it. It's like almost a sermon in itself, but I can share with you uh, if you are interested. But yeah, God has the right to change the commandment. And why? Like I said, the whole problem is men drawing near God. We need to go back to God. And how can we do that? The Levitical priesthood could not 
make that happen. So therefore, God gave us a better priest and a better covenant, namely Jesus Christ. And if we read down in, in verse 19, the second part of the, of the verse, he says, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near God. We have a better hope in Jesus Christ so we can draw near to him. So with the new priesthood, we have a better hope of drawing near God. We, we don't draw near him on the basis of law-keeping, on the basis of rules and Sabbath and things like that because the law had changed. There is a book called The Law of Christ by Charles Leiter. Now that's the law that binds our heart which is basically love. Like, you love the Lord. You want to, why do you love me? Uh, why do you say you love me and not do what I command you, right? If you love the Lord, you will obey his commandment. So we join your God on the basis of, um, on the merit of Jesus Christ. It pains me to see, at times, people introducing law-keepings and rules to be right with God. The law had changed. They were all shadows of things to come. So if people really understood this verse, verse 12 here, the Seventh-day Adventists, like I said, they would not be uh, here today. Or the Catholic would not have the sacraments or the Pope or... Um, the confession, like confessional, like you have to go to confessional, oh, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. No, like you confess to God. The Mormons wouldn't have that Joseph Smith to tell them about like, hey, this is, no. You can have a list of whatever other religions are doing wrong out there. All right, verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken of belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So Christ is the priest, is the new priest uh, through whom um, we can draw near God. But the author is saying, like, we know for sure Jesus was not from the tribe of Aaron. He was from the tribe of Judah. And nothing was said about the tribe of Judah to be priest, right? Last time we saw that, God never gave a, uh, that ministry to the, um, to the tribe of Judah. In fact, we, we saw, like, King Uzziah. Isaiah 6, one. The year the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah was... Uh, presumptuous and went into the uh, temple and offered incense. After warnings, 80 men, 80, 80 Levite came and told him, no, don't do that. He's like, I'm king. He became proud. And what happened to him? Leprosy struck him right away. And he died separated from everyone. So the Lord never asked, never told or never mandated for Judah, for the tribe of Judah to minister at, at the altar. But the author is saying here, it is evident that our Lord 
was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing. The word it is evident is to back up what was said in verse 12. Um, the law has changed. The law has changed in the sense that there is another priest from another tribe, from another order. We're going to see that in the next verse, um, verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. If I haven't mentioned that before, now we're getting into the meat. Remember back in chapter 5, he says, I want to tell you about Melchizedek, but I can't because I can only give you milk. You are a baby in faith. You became, you became dull of hearing. I cannot give you this meat. But here is the meat. Here is the, the big portion to chew on. It became more evident. God Doing away with the Levitical priesthood is more evident because Christ came and is from a different tribe, is from a different order. That's the proof. That's the only proof you need. And Christ is not priest because of what is written in the law. But he says what? By the power of an indestructible life. The law was dealing with only the temple existence of Israel, how they should live their life. I heard a, a pastor said um, the Ten Commandments will be the constitution uh, for, for Israel and the law, the 600-plus 600 law would be um, like the civil law, how to live day to day. Um, so the law was dealing with the temple existence of Israel, and even though people were, like, doing all these um, sacrifices, coming near the priest, forgiveness would, could not be obtained, even on the Day of Atonement. The priests were commanded by God to serve. And the office was received by lineage. So again... Aaron received the promise, you're going to be serving before me. You're going to bear the iniquity of the temple. Um, you're going to be serving on behalf of the people. All, and if someone is not from the lineage of Aaron, they cannot be high priest. They cannot be serving um, before God. Even though it took 1,500 years before Jesus Christ came on the scene, but... We know it was worth that, the wait, so to speak. We needed Jesus to come to make a way for us into the presence of God. Why? He says it here. The other priests, they became um, priests on, uh, based on a legal requirement, but Jesus, he has an indestructible life. This is based on his deity. 
You remember, Melchizedek lives for, is like, it looks like he lives forever. But this is pointing to the reality that Jesus Christ is eternal. He lives forever. His life will not be destroyed. He was crucified, was buried, put in the grave. On the third day, he rose again. And now he lives to intercede for us. His life cannot be destroyed. Levitical priests, they receive the office by the law, but Jesus, by the power, by his own power, because he's God, he's eternal, by the power of an indestructible life. Verse 17. It is witness of him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This verse is also repeated later on. This is the prophecy that David received that my descendant, the King Messiah, will also be a priest. Verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near God. Verse 20. And it is without an oath. The difference between Jesus' priesthood and the Levitical priesthood is this. God instituted the Levitical priesthood with the law, with the commandment. The law can change. But concerning Jesus, verse 110, verse 4 of Psalm 110 says this, I have sworn, says the Lord. The Lord took an oath. And the Lord, when he takes an oath, that cannot change. The commandment can change for the Levites. But for God... The oath cannot change. That's why Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Not only that, he is superior to Levi. The Lord is the one who created the priesthood. But when Jesus came, the, Jesus is the new and better covenant and everything else um, pale compared to him. It says in verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near God. The law could not make our conscience perfect, could not make our life perfect, could not make our soul perfect. So therefore, the Lord inaugurated a new order of priests in the person of and the work of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, not only the Jews, but we also, Gentiles, can draw near to him. And Jesus was made a priest according to an oath. He's going to explain that. The second part of verse 20. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. That's what I was just explaining. But this one was made a priest with an oath by one of whom was said to him, the Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
This makes, verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. That's why Jesus is better than Levi. That's why the priesthood of Jesus is superior to Levi, because the oath sealed it. It's not through the commandment, but through the oath. Verse 23, the former priests were many in numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, talking about Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus continues forever because he is eternal, because the oath of God sealed it. And that's what brings me to verse 25, which I started earlier. Verse 25. Consequently, because of all this, because Jesus is a better priest, because Jesus is superior than Levi, therefore, or consequently, in regard of all these things we, we just mentioned, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, sorry, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lived to make intercession for them. Three things in this, ver in this verse. The first one, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Jesus is able to save you and I to the uttermost. That's the first benefit we receive from him. He can save us to the uttermost. Remember back in uh, chapter 6, I was dealing with the different views about um, it is impossible for someone to receive repentance. Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost. Why? The, second part of, the third part of the verse explains why since he always lived to make intercession for them. So he can save you to the uttermost because he's always and forever interceding for you. I will be able to, I will be able to enter the presence of God one day. Why? Because of inter the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is praying for me right now. He said, always, continually praying, interceding for us and for those who draw near God through him. Because of sin, we could never approach God on our own behalf. We need a mediator. On this side of the cross, like I said, things seem to be easy. Like when we pray, I mean, you grow up, like your parents say, hey, say this prayer. Pray over your meal. Pray this. We don't think about this priesthood thing. We don't think about this mediator, this intercessory work of Jesus Christ. We just think we can pray God and we won't be consumed. But right now, Jesus is interceding for you, for you and me. You always need a bridge to fill the chasm between you and God. The Old Covenant allowed Israel to come this much close to God, but it was an imperfect system. But Jesus Christ make a way 
through his flesh. In, in, in Hebrews 10, he says, he made a way through his flesh, through the veil, and now we have access to God. So the author displays the superiority of, of the priesthood of God from verse 11 to 24, and in verse 25, we know that we can save to the uttermost because he's a better priest, because he's a better priest than Aaron, better priest than Levi. The reason is because he has an eternal life. He has in the power of an indestructible life. So the reason you can keep on counting on Jesus to be saved and be saved to the uttermost, to be saved forever, it's because he keeps interceding for you. The other way around would be this. If he stopped praying for you, you will not be saved to the uttermost. So we need him to constantly praying for us. Again, going back to the three enemies of our soul, the world, always tempting you to fall on your face. Your flesh, trying to seize and find opportunity to uh, make you fall into sin. The enemy, always attacking you. You need his intercession. Your eternal salvation rests upon him praying for you. My eternal salvation rests on him continually praying for me. Now, the application. What does that imply for me and you? The verse says, he can save to the uttermost. What do we need saving from? The Father. You need to be saved from the wrath of God. Like I said in the beginning, like we, we are separated from God and we cannot enter the presence of God. We cannot enter this blazing, consuming fire of holiness. Otherwise, we're going to be in one moment, dis- disintegrated. You need someone to wrap you with that perfection and present you into the presence of God. You need to be clothed with the perfection of Jesus Christ. The intercession of Jesus Christ is what you need. Christianity is not clubbed like this day, like, I have my buddies, I, I, you know, I meet them at church. Or people think of the Bible like a, a book to help um, uh, you like with psychological issues. No, the Bible is a book about Jesus Christ and how he made it possible for you and I to be right with God. Like Brother Jason was telling the, little, the children earlier in the children, in children moment, you need Jesus to be right with God. So the Bible was written to help us get right with God. Our problems, it's not broken marriages. It's not rowdy children. It's not a problem at work. Our problem is sin. And Jesus Christ came to fix the problem of sin. Unless him, as the high priest, takes you and brings you into the presence of God, 
you are in big trouble. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, um, the Bible like doesn't say you're going to have the best marriage ever. You're going to have behaving children. No. Those are byproducts. Those are benefits. But being right with God is what we need. We need to draw near God. That's why he says those who are being saved, they can draw near God, and you won't be consumed because Christ is interceding for you. So that's the first application. It's like we can be in the presence of God. We can be saved from the wrath of God. And don't think God is mad at you and Jesus is loving and trying to like reconcile the both of us. No. This idea of, of, of priesthood, this idea of um, someone to come in, in, in the presence of God on your behalf was God's plan, right? We know the role of the Trinity. The Father decrees and the Son carries the plan of the Father. So God, with sending Jesus to be our priest, to be our, the sacrifice, to be the one who died on the cross, to bear our sin, that was God's idea. So God is not this ogre that needs to be satisfied. He's a loving Father. It's because of sin, like because our imperfect nature we cannot get into him, but he made the provision, the provision from the beginning, sending Jesus Christ to be our continual intercessor. So God, priesthood, man, that's the whole issue. And oh, that's the whole picture. And we all have this access to God through Jesus Christ. The second application is that salvation is not something static. Like we, we, we teach our children, we are saved by grace, and justification is in one time, it's a one-time thing. Yes, but I don't look back to my justification. I'm like, hey, I'm saved, I'm saved. No, continually, I need Jesus to pray for me. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Salvation is a continual thing. And this, this idea of those who draw near to him is a continual thing. Like we continually draw near God to find help because Jesus is continually interceding for us. Let's read the last portion of the chapter so we can close. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. It was fitting. It was according to the perfect plan of God. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I, this is where I got everything I said in my sermon because it's right there. Jesus, his nature, his nature, his deity, his perfect righteousness makes him a better high priest than the, Le- the Levitical priests. 
Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. You remember back in chapter 5 when this whole thing started, we saw the priests, they had to offer um, uh, sacrifices for themselves first and then for the people. He's saying, he's like closing. Jesus doesn't need that. Jesus don't have to do that because he's perfect. So he's, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in the weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath Going back again or referencing again um, Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord sworn, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints, appoints a son who is being made perfect forever. So Jesus, he is forever our high priest. This is glorious. This is Something like, I want you to understand that we need someone to always go before God on our stead, on our behalf. Yes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, but we don't know what that means sometimes. Jesus is right now standing before God and us because we not yet transform. We are not, we know like um, what we will be. When we come, we will be like him, but we are not like that. Um, we're going to be like Jesus Christ, and we can see, we're going to see God face to face one day. But until then, we need him. We need him to hold both sides for us. That's the beauty of the new covenant. He, whoever believes in me, though he died, he will live. Because Jesus lived forever. Because Jesus interceded for us forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ right now. He is interceding for us. He is at your right hand pleading for us. When the enemy is accusing us, when um, the world is attacking us, and when our own flesh trying to drag us down, we can look to him. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. We thank you for him. We thank you. Um, we have 10,000 reasons to, to sing, Lord, and it's not going to be enough, Lord, for what you've done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We bless your name. Amen.